Good morning, Trinity. It's so great to be with you. My name is Ashley Matthews. I'm one of the pastors here. So good to be in worship together, such as it is. If you have Bibles, today we're going to be studying in Genesis chapter 22. We'll read uh, this all-important story and pray and see what the Lord has for us. Verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place far away. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, Father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. When they came to the place that God had shown him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order. He bound his son Isaac. And laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his son at his hand and took the knife to kill his son. But the angel angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, Lord, we look to you, God, now in these um, very uncertain times, and wherever, Lord, we find ourselves this morning, Lord, we know, we believe that you are with us, and we look to you, Holy Spirit, to do what, Lord, we cannot do on our own, to give us, Lord, the sense of being with you, of being in this body, of belonging to the church, and we ask you now, Lord, that you would also, God, be at work in and through your word, that as we open up our hearts put our lives in front of you, Lord, that you would be at work, Holy Spirit. Our prayer of these last few weeks, God, is that you would dig beneath the surface, help us, God, to see what is going on in our inmost places, to surrender that work to you. And that's what we choose to do again this morning, Lord. Be with us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is our fourth week going through this uh, summer series on emotional, healthy spirituality. And this week, we're going to be talking together about uh, what uh, Pete Cicero calls the journey to the wall. 
he uses this metaphor of a wall in order to describe an experience that uh, I think he rightly assumes that every committed, devoted follower of Jesus is going to experience at some point in his or her life, that there will be a time when you will go through an experience of painful and really confusing uh, spiritual testing for the sake of growth. Uh, There are all kinds of ways of talking about an experience like this. Some have referred to it as the dark night of the soul. And uh, if you're familiar at all with the work of St. John of the Cross, uh, you already know without me having to tell you that uh, what Pete's talking about and what St. John of the Cross is talking about is is more than just a a hard time. When we talk about this idea of um, spiritual testing of of the dark night, Uh, Whatever it is that Abraham experienced on this mountain, whatever it was that happened to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, it wasn't just like having a hard time. Uh, There was soul work being done and therefore soul pain that they were experiencing. And that's what we're going to be thinking together about through the lens of this story is the kind of gut work that's happening in Abraham. And we're reading about it this week in expectation that there will be a time, if there hasn't been already, that you will go through and experience something similar yourself. So let's, let's first look at this story. Um, Jewish readers refer to this story as the binding of Isaac, the Akedah. Uh, it's a particularly sacred story, probably because it's particularly challenging. And it's read as if it is... Um, this moment in Abraham's life is believed to be the 10th the and final test of a series of tests of Abraham's faith. We don't love the idea of spiritual testing. We don't love the idea of being tested by God. Uh, we certainly don't love the idea of child sacrifice, of God um, requiring or asking a person to give up their um, child. And rightly so. I, I, I mean, God, I I hope that's how we feel. If you are someone who is deeply troubled, even from the onset of a story like this, just know that you're in good company. God also abhorred child sacrifice. So did Israel. The Old Testament makes that really clear, that God was staunchly opposed to it. So was Israel. Um, And even though it was routinely practiced by their neighbors all around them. So what do we make of what's happening here? How do we make sense of what God is doing? This was no doubt a question that Abraham himself was asking. And I just, I want to say that I think that's probably a good indicator that this is sort of the first act of faithfulness when it comes to this journey through the wall, whatever that means, is to accept that it's going to be really, really confusing, feel really dark is the imagery that we use to describe it, and that choosing to accept that the confusion itself is part of the process, that actually maybe the confusion and what we don't understand, our inability to comprehend what God is doing or what's happening around us, is also part of the gift that God is, in fact, at work even in that lack of understanding. I think that's what Abraham chooses to accept even though we don't get to hear him, uh, do what he says or how he does that. We know um, that he chose to move forward. In order to understand why or what's happening in Abraham's uh, mind and heart in a moment like this, it requires some backstory. God has entered into this relationship with Abraham based solely on Abraham's ability to choose to believe God for impossible things. Abraham's, in other words, already been in a kind of moment like this with God, something that was utterly incomprehensible and choosing to walk into it, step into it anyway. And so this um, isn't his first uh, 
run at something like this. The whole idea of Abraham's faith was built on this um, notion that God had promised to create a family of faith through Abraham and his wife Sarah, that they were going to give birth to um, descendants, and these descendants would create this family of faith that would bless the world. Now, this seemed impossible because, of course, um, Abraham and Sarah were childless. They had been for a long time. They were really old. And yet, Abraham does choose to believe he chooses to have faith. And so the essence of this faith of Abraham, for which, of course, we are inheritors, is essentially that, that we have chosen to believe that God can, in fact, give us new understanding about that which we don't understand completely, that God can move us through things that seem to us utterly impossible because against all odds, defying all comprehension, Abraham chooses to believe that what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. It didn't make sense with how the world worked. It didn't make sense of how he understood um, the gods. It didn't make sense even when he looked at himself. And yet he chooses, he chooses to have faith. Uh, Abraham and Sarah do end up, of course, having a son. They name him Isaac, just as God promised. Isaac, by the way, means he laughs. Uh, which speaks, of course, to both how Abraham and Sarah responded when God said they were going to have a baby, but I think it also speaks to um, what it looks like or feels like whenever you watch God do something impossible. Have you ever had that happen to you where, you know, the thing you thought could never happen actually does happen, and you kind of laugh to yourself? That was Isaac. It was uh, the gift that he gave. Ab Abraham, of course, adored his son. And now, a number of years later, God has asked Abraham to offer him back as a sacrifice. Now, this is um, impossible to wrap our minds around and to understand for all kinds of reasons. It seems like an impossible ask because for reasons that are obvious to every parent. I mean, Abraham, obviously, you know, he loved his son. But I think um, we're missing it if we stop there because it wasn't just hard on like an emotional, parental level. Abraham also knew that Isaac was the gift that God had promised. Isaac was the means by which this, this promise was going to come into fulfillment. God was going to create through him this family of faith. And so if there was no Isaac, then there could be no family of faith. And if there could be no family of faith, then there could be no promise. And if there's no promise, then what is it going to mean for God to keep his word and for God to be faithful? So this is the paradox and the real genius, I think, of this story, because while it's true that it's Abraham's faithfulness to some degree that's on the line, that's being tested, if Abraham chooses not to obey God, will he surrender his own ability to be faithful? But by the same token, God's faithfulness is also on the line, because if God chooses to go through with this and makes the promise that he's made impossible to fulfill, then what does that say about God's faithfulness? Abraham also knows. So all that's, you know, how consciously that's happening in his mind, who knows, but it's certainly happening in the minds of everyone who reads this story. Uh, Abraham also knows, of course, that Isaac was the gift that God gave to him. There is no Isaac apart from God. So what's he going to do? You know, what do you hide him? You run away with him? God gave him to you. That's like sure and certain death. There's no running. There's nowhere to go. There's nowhere, there's nowhere to take him. And that's the thing, you know, if you put yourself in Abraham's place, okay, so I go this way, 
in its sure and certain death because I can't run away from God in disobedience, but I move this way in faithfulness, and that looks like death too. So what do you do? That is the experience of being up against what Scazzaro was calling the wall. It's the limit in your own faith, in your own understanding, in yourself. It feels a lot like being stuck and not exactly knowing, you know, what do I do? If I go this way, it feels like dying. If I go this way, you know, it feels like dying. I think that speaks to, if we're like, marks of looking for marks of faithfulness of Abraham's faithfulness it's getting to a moment like that where it's death on this side and death on this side and choosing uh, to move forward with God because of course he does he doesn't say it out loud he doesn't make a declaration he just he just goes uh, Abraham has to make this you'll notice three-day journey after he hears from God and God issues this command three days he had to walk with his kid trying to make sense of what was happening and understand, trying to figure out, no doubt, what he was going to do. She'll never convince me that Abraham had decided what he was going to do. I don't th- think he knew. How could he? It's three days, and those three days had to be filled with, in the face of all that uncertainty and pain and anger and frustration, little acts of faithfulness. He had to make the journey step after step for one thing. The text tells us specifically, I think, Um, in sort of rapid succession on purpose to make the point, he has to build the altar. The author wants you to imagine this man gathering the wood for the altar, stick by stick, piece by piece. He builds the altar, and then he has to bind his own son. That's why the Jews refer to it as the binding of Isaac. Can you even imagine what that might have been like? And all of those acts of faithfulness were marked by a kind of surrender, a willingness to keep doing the impossible thing. You'll notice if you're looking at the story that three different occasions, Abraham says the phrase, here I am, hineni in Hebrew. There's really no good English equivalent for this verb. It features a lot in the Old Testament. Uh, but it, it means basically to be ready, to be alert, and to be open to instruction. So over and over and over again, the beginning of the story, God calls out to Abraham, Abraham, Abraham says, here I am, hineni. In the middle of the story, Isaac says, where are you, Dad? And Abraham looks at his son, and he says, here I am, Hineni. At the end of this story, the angel's going to cry out to Abraham and say, where are you now, Abraham? And Abraham is going to have to again say, I'm here. I'm still here. And there's something really holy and profound in that kind of posture, y'all. That's not just the a way to move through a kind of wall experience, that's actually the only way to move through a kind of experience like this, is to choose to, in your guts, be able to say, I'm here. I don't know where God is. I don't know why I'm here, but I'm here. Uh, You might think to yourself, well, that seems like a dumb thing to do. (laughs) Why? Why would he do that? Why would I choose to act faithfully and talk to God when, you know, God's not saying anything? Where's he? What's he doing? I can't answer that question for you. That's the kind of answer that you don't get in Sunday school. The only answer that will ultimately ever matter to that question is the one that you come up with for yourself. It's bound up in your own guts and your own faith. But Pete Scazzaro in this chapter, he outlines four gifts 
that we gain by choosing to journey through the wall. And I, I want to note them for you so that you can note them in your reading this week. Four gifts. He says the first is this. You know you're journeying through the wall when you develop a greater level of brokenness, which means that we begin to experience freedom from feelings of judgment, become less defensive, less easy to offend, that that's actually a gain, something you get out of choosing to go through and experience the wall faithfully. Number two, a greater appreciation for mystery. He says that we know we're journeying through the wall when we can begin to accept that we don't control God, that we can know him, to love him, but we won't ever fully know him. And however we think our faith works, he sort of reserves the right to be free. And that therefore means there will always be mystery for us. Number three, a deeper ability to wait on God. Peace Gazera will say this is the ticket. If you can become a person who learns to wait on God without rushing to make your own Ishmaels, you learn to wait for Isaac. You can be someone who believes that God's going to do the thing he says he's going to do, so you don't rush to create your own temporary solutions. You wait, you hold steady. That's a gift. And lastly, a greater detachment, more freedom in God. And I just want to read you this quote, which might be my favorite from the chapter. He says, the critical issue on the journey with God is not, am I happy, but am I free? Am I growing in the freedom God gave me? That is the question of faith. That is the question that only the faithful disciple asks. It cannot be, am I happy? There are a million ways for you to answer that question. Coke wants to make you happy. Shopping, stores, marketing, advertising, all of it wants to make you happy. And you're supposed to be happy. God wants you to be happy. But is it the most important? Is it the fundamentally true thing? Not until you've answered the first question, which is, am I free? As far as God is concerned, you can't ever get to am I happy until you've answered that question. And that's the gift of journeying through the wall. It's freedom with Jesus. I think it's when we begin to make these kinds of moves through the wall that we begin to live. That's what Pete's saying. That's life. These kinds of gifts, to be able to say that I have greater freedom, I have a greater level of brokenness, I've learned to be a patient person, that's life. That's the gift of really being able to live. And that's what I think Abraham knew. It's what kept him moving forward. Abraham knew that the life that he would live apart from God, he, he didn't want. He didn't want to live. Which meant that the only way to really live was to go up on that mountain and die. That's the story of our faith. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it cannot live, Jesus said. And he did die. There is a dying of our reason. There is a death of our attachments. There is a death of the soul that happens. And this is the hard, sacred truth of our faith. Don't let anybody ever tell you different. It's a different gospel, Paul would say. We are a people who come from a family who stood on the banks of the Red Sea and looked this way and saw the encroaching armies of Pharaoh, knowing that way is death, and looked this way at an impassable sea and knew that way was also certain death, except for the fact that God was on the other side. And so I guess I'll go that way, because that's where God is, on the other side of this dying, on the other side of this death. And so we move and we go. 
That's how we live as people of faith. It's how Abraham lived. So we know how the story ends. Abraham does his thing. He raises the knife, and at the last minute, God spares his son, provides a ram. Here's what I want to say to you. If you walk away from a chapter, a story like this, and you think, well, the moral of the story is, if I just do what I know I'm supposed to do, it'll all work out just like I want in the end. If that's what we get from a story like this, we tragically, we've missed it. Because the point of the story is that all the way up to he raises his knife. Abraham raises his knife, and I don't need the Bible to tell me that a dying happened. Death happened on the inside of him. It had to. His brain broke, and his heart split open. And when he died, life spoke over him. That is the point, not just of this story, but of our faith. On the other side of death, there is only life for the person who follows God. That is the story of our faith. We are the people of Abraham. God says, no. I will make this okay. I will make a way forward. So Abraham names the place God will provide. Because God didn't just provide, of course, the ram in that moment. That's not the point. What Abraham knew is that God had been providing all the way along, every step of the journey, every stick he picked up to put on the altar, every stone he had to lay, every time he wrapped his son, God was providing for him to be faithful. And the same is true for you. God will provide every step of a very harrowing and hard journey through your own wall, which you will have. If you don't have one, you ought to be asking other questions. Here's the last thing I want to say, and I think it really matters. It has for me. There will be, there will be most certainly in light of what we just said, um, times in my life when I, I will play the role of Abraham. I will be Abraham in the story. But that cannot supersede the fact. We cannot afford to forget that really, forever and always, we are Isaac in the story. That's the truth of it. In reality, as far as God is concerned, there will be times when you play Abraham, but the truth is you're always Isaac. You are the child of promise. You always have been. You always will be his firstborn. And the point of this story is that as a child of God, as a firstborn of God, you are always safe in his hand. He will put himself in the thicket to provide for you, to make a way for you. And if I know that going in, with my God I can scale the wall, David says. So God's peace to you. Be prayerful this week. Open up to what it is that the Holy Spirit would want to do. Ask him for the courage that you know that you need and don't possess on your own to bolster and strengthen your soul. God is ready to give it to you. He's a good father.